0: HIV-AIDS has reached an existential moment. As COVID-19 continues to pose geopolitical risks, there is a threat that the progress made over the past 40 years in the fight to end the AIDS pandemic will be undone. COVID-19 has exacerbated social and economic inequalities, placed further stress on weak health systems, and highlighted the urgent need to strengthen global health security. In managing these dual pandemics, The global health community must adapt, protect, and integrate approaches to sustain momentum toward ending HIV-AIDS while continuing to respond to COVID-19. In this podcast, we speak to experts, community leaders, and people living with HIV about the progress toward reaching the new targets outlined in the 2021 political declaration on HIV and AIDS, the current geopolitical climate, why it is important to continue prioritizing HIV-AIDS, and what can be done to strengthen health security in low- and middle-income countries. This is AIDS Existential Moment.
1: This is Jeff Sturcio, Senior Associate at the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. We're pleased to bring you this crossover episode with Coronavirus Crisis Update. An interview with Jana Ponfilova, founder of Teenergizer, an organization that seeks to end discrimination against Ukrainian youth living with HIV infection. I hope you enjoy this special episode. We're delighted today to be joined by Jana Pomfilova. Welcome, Yana, and thank you so much for making time to be with us today.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Yana will introduce herself in a moment just to give you a quick overview. She's a 24-year-old Ukrainian woman born with HIV who was very engaged in the creation eight years ago of a youth network movement of those living with HIV called Teenagerizer, established initially within Ukraine, Different branches spread to Eastern Europe. In the course of COVID has become even more active in terms of mental health counseling within the youth network. She is now living in Berlin, in exile as a refugee from the war. We'll hear a little bit about that. So Jana, it's really great that you're with us here today. We're really honored to have you visiting with us. Let's start with, first of all, your story of how you find yourself in Berlin. You and your family members fled Kyiv shortly after the war started, and you went out west, you went to Poland, you settled in Berlin. Describe for us the circumstances, what it was like as war broke out in Kyiv in your community, and your decision by your family to flee. Thank you for this question.
2: It was terrible when we were in Ukraine, in Kyiv, and that's why we wanted to change our place to feel much more safety than ever. Because when we was in the war, we felt very insecure. We think that it's maybe our last day when we leave this this. Um, was this world. because
1: there were invading forces nearby? There was shelling in your community. because
2: the mild there. You can't sleep well because uh, the Russian bombing on the ground every 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 hours. You should check at your phone what happened is other place with your relatives with your friends with all of this when we had fled our home and we first our point was in uh, poland we got used to uh, uh, we when we were still in ukraine we got used to living a normal life
1: okay okay so yana you moved to west uh, ukraine then you moved to poland and then you settled in berlin yes but what is your life
2: like in berlin now Much better, much better because we don't have this essential fear that we can die and uh, now we don't have some PTSD trauma. Of course, we a little bit have like PTSD trauma, but now when I heard some very loud sounds, I can't think that is bombing or something else. Because before, when we was in Poland, the first two days was very hard. Because before, you had this experience that the bomb in there, the sirens also there, and you very like get used it for this. Yes. Uh, so
1: you were hearing sirens in Poland.
2: Yeah, sirens everywhere. And our first months, when we was in Berlin, also we heard the sirens.
1: You moved with your mother, your grandmother, and your cat.
2: Yes, yes. We moved with uh, my my mother, grandmother and cat.
1: So you're three generations of women in the same household. Yeah. In Berlin. <laughs> True. <laughs> so that must be an interesting experience you're getting to understand one another in a new way.
2: Oh, uh, sometimes it's difficult because before when I was in Ukraine, I was living alone without my parents and some others. sometimes cat uh, was stay with me, but not with my mom and other people. <laughs> so that's why it uh, was a little bit difficult, but it doesn't matter because now we are alive. we very furniture, we have temporary house, we have food instead of other people who are staying in Ukraine who cannot be survived. So we are so lucky, and uh, I can't say, like, it's difficult or not. Now we see that many problem, but before we thought, now it's not problem. It's like it's very, like, simply problem that you have before, when you face before.
1: When do you think you will return? The Russians have withdrawn from Kiev region. The war continues. We still see some shelling in the northeast cities, but it's not fully secure. When would you expect to return to your home?
2: So I think maybe at the end of this year, but we should uh, see what happened next.
1: Let's talk about your organizing career. When you were 16, you formed this youth network called Teenergizer for youth and adolescents living with HIV. What was the concept? What was it to do?
2: First of all, when we found this organization, we didn't think that it's really organization, it's like a big movement. We just see that inequalities, in our like, country and other countries close to us. Adults said that you have a right and we can decide how we manage this problem and solve this problem. We saw that it's not real. It's not about us because they didn't really understand us. They didn't really understand how we want to live. They always said how you should live, but they not ask us how you want to live. And that's why we created Teenagerizer. We imagined that it's like second Facebook because we created website and our teenagers with HIV, without HIV, they can post it, everything, they can realize themselves. And we say like, you can do anything, what you want, it doesn't matter. Because in our schools, adults told us, okay, you should do that or you shouldn't do that. So it's a little bit hard for us to follow these rules.
1: So this was a way of providing solidarity and support yeah. among young people living with HIV
2: especially like for all people because when I was young the adult people made a photo with us like with especially teenagers living with HIV and we should not stay on the our face we should stay like on the our back and they took the photo they gave to us like this huge discrimination so that's we create this community Of course, especially with teenagers living with HIV and other teenagers, because we still want to create the community that can accept, it doesn't matter, you have HIV. And the stigma and
1: discrimination. Yes,
2: yes. Because if we work only with HIV, we already give huge discrimination and stigma.
1: How did things change when COVID arrives in early 2020? How did that change your life? And how did it change tenergizer?
2: So, before COVID, we realized that HIV is very social disease. Right now, it's not about like more medicine disease. So, that's why we work with a lot of teenagers across Eastern Europe, Central Asia. And we understand they stopped taking the pills because they didn't want to accept themselves. That's why we see that the psychological program is much, much more matter than ever. That's why we create, before the COVID, we create online peer counseling for HIV positive and for without HIV. We're providing support group for all HIV positive teenagers, and we are still providing this support group. And of course, we understand the mental health is very higher. And then the COVID started. So before the COVID, we have 20 peer counselors. Before the war, on the February, we have more than one hundred twenty peer counselors.
1: So you expanded dramatically during COVID.
2: Yeah, we raised a lot, and we of course can cover more than five million adolescent and young people every year with all of uh, our program. Because okay, you have like online peer counseling, but many teenagers they're not prepared. They can't ask about the help. They don't know like how to ask because they like adult people. They not learn how you can ask. So that's why we created the big campaign online about the mental health, about comprehensive sexuality education, and to talk about the emotion, how you protect yourself, how you protect about your COVID, and how you protect about your mentality. And we reached more than 5 million who's really young.
1: That's very impressive. Obviously, you saw a dramatic spike in the need for counseling during COVID. You were seeing more depression. You were seeing more anxiety. Tell us a bit about what you were seeing as the impact of COVID.
2: For the last year, we got more than 70,000 requests of young people. It's like unique. And what we see that because we collected the data and we have some monitoring and evaluation of this data. So what we see that the first many young people, they got a lot of depression inside. It's like not official depression like the doctors you can give them. It's like when you feel so bad, when you feel so insecure, and it's like COVID for infants, for their mentality. And other, they always question about the sex, about COVID, about relatives, especially parents' relationship with parents. It's higher, higher topic of our teenagers and young people.
1: Now, you told me an interesting story that I'd like you to relate, that right before the war started, the war started February 24th when Russia invaded with the blitzkrieg that failed, but it was a shock. I was in Europe at that time. I was in Switzerland when the day that this happened, it was a shock across Europe. Just two days before that, you had an event with the first lady of Ukraine and several ministries and UNICEF and others focused on mental health. What was your message at that time to the policymakers and to the leadership what was your message to the first lady and to others that were there?
2: So my main message to her and to other ministries was we want to peace especially in a peace and of course we want to peace outside like in in our reality. But we should develop all program on mental health especially young people and adolescents.
1: So you're arguing for a higher priority by the government on mental no. health services for young people
2: yeah because during two months before the war we heard a lot of news about the war will would be started and of course uh, we talk a lot of like teenagers and young people and our discussions were also changed so before the war we were talking about what exactly you will face like psychological trauma and what you should do we didn't have a war but we had this discussion
1: yes the, just the the idea that there might be war was making people very anxious.
2: Yeah, very anxious and very in anxiety, because one month ago before the war, uh, they собирали тревожные чемоданчики, they prepared the suitcase, emergency suitcase.
1: If you had to flee your home. Yes. Yes. So now the war begins. We're now at 80 days in this war, and there's no end in sight at the Present and we have over six million Ukrainians, yourself included, living outside of Ukraine.
2: I think it's around three million. Oh no, sorry, three million in Poland.
1: Three million in Poland. The total yeah, is yeah, now yeah. is now thought to be about six million. Six million total, yes. and another seven million in internally displaced within Ukraine. So a very very large portion yeah. of Ukrainians, 44 million citizens, are very disrupted. And, of course, that's created enormous mental health problems and other problems. So people are scattered, like you. It's resettled in Berlin temporarily with your mother and your grandmother and your cat. Yeah. And, but you've been able to continue your role, and the, the counseling services continue. Describe that. How are you keeping those counseling services going?
2: For me, it was easy to change place because I had a lot of experience with traveling. But now what I see many Ukrainians, it can be like first time when they go outside. So for them, it's really hard to be, and that's why they got a lot of anxiety about this. How we save our service? We learn all of this situation with COVID that we can work together online. Of course, office is very good. But now you don't need to office, you don't need to place to work. You need your laptop, and that's all.
1: So you discovered that in COVID.
2: Yeah. So that's why we saved this service. That's why we continue to work on the mental health to work with other peer counselors.
1: On COVID, I need to ask you a couple of questions. When the war broke out, the vaccine coverage numbers were very low. 35-36% of Ukrainian eligible. those. Five years and older. It's thought that there's a lot of anti-vaccine sentiment, a lot of refusal or hesitancy within Ukrainian society around vaccines. Why is that? Why is there such low uptake of COVID vaccines in Ukraine?
2: So just give you a small example. In Russia lives a lot of HIV-positive people, but they have some the groups who anti-vax, who can speak and say that HIV is not real. That's why we have the same situation in Ukraine. So we have really big groups who said that COVID is not real. Vaccine is not good. If you make it this vaccine, you, you can die. And my grandma, she, she became uh, a victim of this propaganda. Uh, and that's why she, she didn't make some vaccine. And also at the same time, we have really church, like who influenced for all of this. And of course, people believe in church, believe in people who work there. And the people who work there said that COVID is not real. That's why uh, we don't have very high like vaccinations.
1: So this is the Orthodox Church or the Ukrainian Catholic Church or both?
2: It's Orthodox. And uh, of course, in our schools, we don't talk about the health. You know, like I'm, I'm very thankful that I have HIV. You know why? Because every year I, I check my body, I check my all of my my uh, my organism, but many other people they didn't check out like their like body, what they happened, like for the prevention. and that's why they don't really understand how it's really important because in our schools we don't we don't talk about this. So I think that's why they they cannot make it this vaccine. But young generation, they full make it.
1: So let's close. You're here in Washington, D.C. visiting. What are the messages that you're carrying in your conversations here in Washington, D.C., including here? Like, what are the messages to our listeners that you want to convey?
2: So first of all, to say thank you so much, UNAIDS and PEFAR, because they give us very, like, very big support. The biggest uh, message that we really united than ever, like, in Ukraine we need your support like the U- U- united states government and we are really ready to get this victory really soon
1: so we ask every one of our guests what gives you the greatest hope and optimism today
2: so my biggest hope is about ukrainian people they are brave they are uh, confident inside it gives me much more power like inside when i saw when i see how they united how they help each other how how uh, when we see something like very bad very bad thing of course we feel this we we a little bit upset about this but then we we know that we have each other and we can discuss to other with others and we give together like some support and other things and that, that I think it, it's not only like, you know, like small talks or some other relationship. It's like it's uh, a fundamental, like a support. And that's why we see how our military's army is very strong and uh, how they make it something in reality.
1: You know, they, there's a debate that goes on about what happens when societies are thrust into great stress yeah. and disruption. Some people believe that uh, it can shatter the society. It can become weaker and more divided and more vulnerable and the like. Some people have argued that, in fact, in many, many cases, the experience of this great trauma and threat will elevate the level of unity and heroism and valor. There's a, there's a very well-known American writer named Uh, Rebecca Solnit, who's written a book about this phenomenon. She's written many books. But what you're describing is, is that pattern in Ukraine. Were you surprised by the level of unity and solidarity that we have seen? Many Americans and others have been very impressed and moved and inspired, but also surprised by the level of unity and solidarity in Ukraine. Were you surprised?
2: No, I'm not surprised because we know each other. You know, like we had Maidan, we united.
1: Maidan was your color revolution in 2014 that led to Yanukovych's departure and the return to some democratic.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's it hap it will be it would be happen in Belarus, but Belarus like it's much more like the Lukashenko much more stronger the people but our people some sometimes it was very crazy because they can go like and die about our freedom and we we in our blood we live we feel that our it's for us freedom is very important and at the same time i'm not surprised because i know these people i'm not surprised because we have a lot of activists our favorite hobbies is like uh, made some revolutions or something else to have protests it's like favorite hobbies of Ukrainian people mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> and that's why I feel like my responsibility for change my country, for change my like our legislations, and we see how our government is much more open than ever I saw. you know, like we had the meeting with uh, first lady I'm just talking with her like uh, before. And our like minister of fair affairs also open. So we see how our like buildings is much more open than ever, and we can we can work together. We can change the system, and we can change our future. We are so young, like for me, like twenty four years old. Uh, but a lot of people like have this belief they can change our country, and I'm so happy because. Uh, we are not like developed country, you know, like we're not like so like expensive country. I mean like the, the the country like the United States, because the United States they had a lot of money. Ukraine did not have a lot of money, but we can change much more quickly than, for example, U- UK or other countries. Because uh, for example, our technology, we have some application which is one application in the world that we have official passport, we have official other document service who gives by our government. That's why we really love, love these like times.
1: Jana Pamphalova, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been really a great pleasure and honor to have you here uh, for this conversation. So thank you and I wish you all the best in this next phase.
0: Thank you for listening to AIDS Existential Moment. To learn more about CSIS's research on the global fight against HIV-AIDS, go to csis.org and look for the Global Health Policy Center program page.